100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Shane Parker of November Warrior Outdoors. Shane is one of the best when it comes to e-scouting, trail camera deployment, and analyzing data for deer hunting. We discuss how to break down a large chunk of public land, some e-scouting tips to make you more efficient when you get out there, utilizing trail camera intel, judging sign, and many other topics that are related to postseason scouting. If you haven't listened to the other podcasts I did with Shane last summer, I would highly recommend you go over and take a look at them. If you just search Shane Parker under the the podcast there, you'll be able to find them. I I don't remember the exact episode numbers, but really good uh, information on how he was breaking down thermal hubs in this one. But uh, on this episode for Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from Jim Kromka out of Pennsylvania. So Jim wrote in, I was hunting three days in a row the first week of November, and I was seeing some buck activity about 100 yards away for two days in a row. I decided to get out of my tree and make a move. After bumping a bedded buck, I climbed a tree in my saddle and settled in for the afternoon. At about 2 p.m., I caught a glimpse of an eight-point and some beach brush about 80 yards away. A little later, I decided to do a calling sequence, grunt, bleat, bleat, grunt, grunt, grunt. And after 20 seconds, the eight-point was in my lap. I hid behind my tree in my saddle, came to full draw, then eased out to the left to aim and shoot. After holding full draw for what seemed like forever, I shot and he ran 20 yards before stopping and looking at me. Not understanding why he stopped, I quickly knocked another arrow and took another shot. This time, he took off hard back into the beach brush. Turns out that the first shot had actually missed, which is why he had to stop for me again. However, I found the second arrow broken off and the amount of penetration I got was unclear. I was worried I hit him in the shoulder. I decided to back out and come in with two of my brothers and my cousin. Trailing in the dark, we methodically found my deer and exchanged hugs. I did hit the edge of the front shoulder, but still got double lung penetration. I couldn't be more proud of my first mountain buck. Thanks to you and your podcast for everything I've learned over the years. Well, congratulations, Jim. That is absolutely incredible. Such an awesome deer. And uh, for you to be able to get your first mountain buck and and from some of the background you give me here, it's not your first buck, but your first mountain buck. So, so awesome. Congratulations. And uh, if anybody wants to check out the photos of Jim's deer, just head over to Instagram, East Meets West Hunt and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. If you want to submit your Mountain Buck Monday story, you can send it into my email, boateastmeetswesthunt.com, and put in the subject line, Mountain Buck Monday. Please don't send them through social media. There's too many places to get messages there, and it easily gets missed. So thank you for uh, sending this in, Jim, and looking forward to sharing more here in the future. With that said, I am actually I'm recording this intro while I'm out in Salt Lake City for the Western Hunt Expo and uh, got a bunch of stuff going on here this week. But uh, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week and uh, enjoys this episode with Shane Parker. Talk to you soon. All right. We are good. Shane Parker, welcome back to the podcast. It's been uh, it's been a little while here last since last summer, but uh, I'm excited to have you back on. And it looks like, you know, where you're at down south is a nice, beautiful late January day. It is. Uh, it's good to be back on with you again. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to be up in the 60s today after freezing our butts off for the last really month. So 
it's we're thawing out down here. It's ready for <laughs> season. Yeah, uh, you'd said that you'd heard your first gobbler of the year this morning already. Well, yeah, yesterday morning I got out a little bit and um, it warmed up in the in the fifties real quick. Now, yesterday morning I got out, got on some high points and 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 heard the first one of the year. So we're we're hurtling toward that that time of the year where they're going to really crank up. Oh, that's, that's exciting. And, and also just, it's a different, it's, it's funny. It was, we were talking about before we started recording you being down South, as far as the being ahead a little bit, as far as like the time of everything, you know, when, where, you know, you're in the, the middle of the peak of like, you know, your postseason scouting basically right now, like right on the heels of hunting season, Whereas, you know, with us in some of the northern states and some of the Midwest, you got winter that comes in and stuff. You can still do some scouting and it's helpful to be in the snow. But depending on the depths and how hard the winter is, you don't want to pressure the deer. So a lot of your work's being done inside and the computer. And then, you know, March and April and out and, you know, where you're at, you're already getting into turkey season and green up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a it's a big difference between just, you know, 300 miles north of here. You know, basically, just it's a whole different animal up there where y'all are. But yeah, we're we're already. I mean, we I, I transitioned out of out of the mindset of hunting probably a month ago, and started doing all my e scouting. Started breaking down all my camera data, and so now, I mean, we're the season just ended technically last um, this past. I think Saturday was the last day, so we're just a few days past that. But I, I really haven't hunted in probably a month. Uh, I've just been you know pulling cameras and starting to do that work for next year um but yeah it, it's definitely we, we've got a short span here because once we get a little bit of warmth down here things will start greening up and all that uh, uh, ability to read sign that was laid down back in october november and december is going to be gone you won't be able to see it so we have a really really short window here to do it and then you're you're transitioning from doing that right into turkey season if you're a turkey hunter so it, you got very limited time to get your get your postseason scouting done you know yeah no it, it definitely is and i've always i've always kind of liked that gap that we have because i mean this the postseason scouting is probably my favorite time of the year because like yeah. it's just like uncuffed get to go and not worry about anything <laughs> that's going on as far as blowing out deer, being careful, just walking and seeing places and, and checking out sign and always visualizing what's what you think could happen here come October, come November, come December, and just like really thinking through those things. It's just, it's my, my favorite time of the year, but yeah. Cause you ain't got to worry about bumping deer. I mean, if you do bump them, I mean, it's not a big deal. Actually, it's probably a good thing bumping them right now. You know, you get a good idea where they are right now. You got a good beat on them next year. So, you know, it is it is a good time to be in the woods. It seems like y'all probably have a little longer period of time to do it than we do because we just roll right from, you know, like deer season ends, have a month, month and a half, and you're gearing up for turkey season. And I think y'all probably have a, a, a good bit more, you know, time to kind of get that postseason scouting in for all that 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 sign is kind of done away. So all of ours has to be really, really compacted. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that's where a lot of people kind of miss the boat is they don't really, they stop hunting and that's it. They don't pull the phone up to, to e-scout. They don't do any of that until, you know, right before season. And they're missing out on that, that window of opportunity to get out there and do a lot of that, that homework that you can, uh, really use for next year, you know? Well, yeah. And, and, and like, that's, you're exactly right. And, 
the the east i've always looked at e-scouting in the winter more so than i do right before the season of because it's like all right this is going to plan my postseason scouting route like this is going to plan where my focus areas are going to be i'm going to analyze my data from last season get that stuff organized and it's not it's I like it. I know a lot of people don't. I talk to a lot of people that are really good hunters that don't like analyzing the data to that level. But I mean, I, I, I got it from my dad. I mean, my dad has notebooks filled and Excel spreadsheets and all of this different stuff. And that's where I picked up on it. And it's just like, I, I'm like, I got to get, I still got, you know, a bunch of cameras I haven't got to yet to be able to pull the cards to see what's even on them and, you know, get that data in. But there's some areas I do have it and I've been kind of focused on relooking at those maps again and figuring out what to learn. And what's, what's also, I think is a common misconception is hunting, like, or I guess, how do I want to put this hunting or once you e-scout, I, th- I feel like a lot of people think of e-scouting as just e-scouting an area the first time you go into it. And then maybe, you know, when you're hunting, obviously, you know, you're looking on your phone, you have, you know, you're looking at Spartan Forge, you're looking at whatever mapping app you have, and you're checking things out a little bit. But the full on, you know, sitting on your computer with a cup of coffee or or a drink at the end of the night or whatever, and, and really diving into it. I don't feel like people do that as much after years of hunting an area. And, you know, I still look at areas that I've been hunting for, for, you know, 10 years, I'm still looking at them and finding more on a map based on the experiences that I have versus like in person and then trail cameras. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you, the more, the more you can stack information on top of information you already have, like just building a web of information, because that's really all it is. That's all scouting is really doing is just building layers of information. Uh, the more you can do that in the area, um, the better off you can be. You can eventually, that's kind of what we're doing. What I, I partnered up with some guys here in this area that, that have hunted this forever, hunted this particular big piece of public here. And that's what I told them. Like the way I do things is I, I don't, I don't overwhelm myself when I'm e-scouting, trying to like e-scout everything. Like I don't want to learn everything. I want to take a section that I can actually handle and break that section down and learn everything I can about it, you know, over a two or three year period so that I'm not just so that if I do want to bounce around or something like and and look at different areas, at least if I'm not finding anything, I've got a home to come back to to hunt that I know, you know, like I know I can go in this area here and more than likely there's going to be a buck in there that I'm going to have you know, several years of knowledge of how everything flows together within that area. And I think that's where a lot of hunters, uh, you know, I, I feel like they're either missing the boat, either not doing that, or they're getting too comfortable with an area and they just assume year after year after year, they don't have to do anything, go to the same spot, sit there. And um, every five years, they'll accidentally kill a buck there, you know. And I feel like a lot of us fall into one or the other. We either don't do enough or we do so much that we're so comfortable that we relax, you know. So I think it's a fine line between just keeping that 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 knowledge base moving forward without uh, thinking you know it all, you know. Yeah, and I think I think you brought up a really good point there. And it's something that, you know, I I know that for myself, I struggle with when I'm, especially when I'm looking at new areas is looking at too big of an area. And then it's, it's tough to, to 
really see those small things that you need to pick up on in the map. And I think what you're saying is like, you'll find a section that looks good based on certain parameters and you'll really deep dive into that spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really what I do. I, I try to take something that's manageable, like, especially when you're dealing with big woods, like where I hunt is, it's just, you know, it's, it's on a, it's not quite as large a scale as you can find like New York and some of the, the more northerly areas, but it's for, for here, it's big woods. I mean, you can have, you know, a lot of roadless areas. So it, it is big country and it's, it's big spread out. You know, you don't have a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of diversity that's like really tight knit. So it, you're dealing with a large area that's, that's kind of monotonous. And when you look at it, a lot of times it can look, if you look at it from a, from a, from a e-scouting point of view, like you're looking at it on a map, it almost is, looks daunting, you know, like how am I going to get in there and find something and all this that looks the same. But if you break it down into a chunk that, that is manageable and you work that chunk and you just slowly build chunks off of that, um, that's what I try to do. Cause I, I, I've learned real quick that if I'm trying to like, if I'm taking a thousand acres, I can't learn a thousand acres. Like that's just not, you know, like, one person just can't do it. And I think that's the way a lot of people look at it is, okay, I know a buck's range is this much, so I'm going to take this much space. You know, buck's range is 700 to 1,000 acres or whatever. You know, I think that's a number that a lot of people have thrown around in their mind, and that's what they look at. And I'm taking about, you know, a third of that. I'm taking 200, 300 acres. And if you take two or 300 acres, you can learn that really easily. And you can learn that probably 60% of that it's not being used at all. So now you've eliminated half of it or over half. So now you're down to about 150 acres that that buck is actually using. Well, what is he using during deer season when you can actually hunt him? Well, he's probably only using about 50% of that. So now you've quacked it down to another like 60 or so you're dealing with 60 or 70 acres of territory that you're really covering instead of having to cover the entire 300. Well, then when you, you start working those areas and connecting them, those 60 or 70 acres that are lie within that 300 acres that he's actually using, it's a lot easier to, to, to learn that terrain than trying to learn a whole, you know, seven or 800 acres and learn every inch of it, you know? Yeah. And so how do you, how do you pick that, you know, and, and out of the thousands of acres, how do you narrow it down to this 300 acre chunk that you really want to dive into? Well, I mean, one of the one of the things that I mistakes I made when I moved I moved into a new area, hunted, started hunting it in, in early September, breaking it down. And one of the things that I really did wrong and I learned really quickly is I was trying to spread too big of a net. Like I was I was trying to bounce around to three or four different places, and I never was really able to, I guess, get settled on a place. So I finally just said, okay, I need to pick something. What would I look for uh, normally if I was e-scouting? Okay, it's, it's, it's combining um, different habitat types or different terrain types and different habitat types. So when I did this, I looked at, and what I, what I do in most cases is I look for, um, I look for drainages. I look for creek bottoms. And I look for a bunch of connecting or different facing uh, ridge systems. So I'm looking for things that kind of flow together into a central point, like drainages that flow east, west, north, south, creek bottom or something that's splitting them up. 
you know, something like that that gets a lot of terrain types that are mixed together within a tight area. And when, when I can find those areas, like I love to find an area, a creek or a, or a smaller branch or something like that that has multiple uh, drainages that are flowing. Like if I can get three coming into that at one kind of location within a central area, I'm going to pin that spot and that's where I'm going to start off of. And if you can build a, an area that's kind of multi-layered like that, like has several of those, um, especially in this mountainous country like this where you have, you, it's not flat, of course, so you're dealing with elevation changes and things like that. That's what I'm kind of looking for. So the place that I kind of picked out, uh, a few of the places I kind of picked out that, that ended up having good bucks in them were just like that. It was just a lot of terrain diversity, uh, drainages that flowed to a central point, uh, thermal hubs that connected, topo hubs that connected. So something like that. That's what I'm I'm kind of trying to identify. Yeah, and and I think like I think the key thing with what you're what you're saying too is even for guys and girls that might be looking at you know might not have the exact same terrain differences say there's some areas um that i know of in like pennsylvania have long ridges that don't have as many of the of the traditional um thermal hubs and everything that comes off of it but you're just looking for diversity and diversity in terrain sometimes it might be vegetation is more important because there's not that much in the terrain or or vice versa but finding that diversity I, I do the exact same thing that you do and what you're the scenario you're talking about is is best case like a lot there are places that I hunt that are like that and, and I spent some time in Ohio this January in places that had that and it was like exactly what you said because you have they have everything there you know depending on the time of year um the wind direction all that stuff they can move in a in a relatively small area and still have the things that they need versus having to to move uh, you know a long ways away too yeah yeah if you can get that get that those that, that terrain diversity or even habitat diversity if you can combine both of them you know like like you're saying if you've got those long like i'm i'm used to that in the place I did, I moved from kind of has that we'll have long ridges, you know, um, that, that really don't have that. Like they'll have, and, and in cases like that, it's those small little, if you're, if you're dealing with that, what I'm looking for is even no ridge is just flat and runs, you know, like without any kind of undulation. So it's, if you're dealing with that, it's any kind of undulation in the ridge any kind of lowering in the elevation along the ridge or habitat break, like it breaks from, um, you know, wide open hardwoods to suddenly it's a pine strip and it's kind of thicker and grown up with vegetation. Those will be areas like that. So it's any kind of edges, any kind of transition um, that, that you can find within, within habitat like that or within terrain like that, even though the habitat uh, can kind of be monotonous around it, they'll pick out any place that there's a, you know, there's a change in that diversity of terrain or, or an edge or anything like that. So it, you know, a lot of times that's just putting boots on the ground. You can scout it. You can look at it on a map. Um, like I said, I did a lot of that early on here. I just kind of bounced around and finally found a place that, that kind of fit what I was looking for. Um, so it, it just, you know, e-scouting is, is, is one of those things that sometimes, um, you can, you can, hit on it immediately and sometimes it just takes practice of just doing it over and over and over again you finally you know just just get to the right spot i guess 
Yeah, and I think I think too it's not not overthinking it too much from the e scouting perspective. You know, like I'm I'm not you know I would love to find a spot where it's like okay I marked this pin and there's an actual buck bed there, but for me it's like all right I want to find a place that I think that this has these couple micro points that are coming out and this vegetation looks like okay a buck could be living there i'm going to mark that and then go get boots on the ground and try to confirm you know those but try to you know i always try to mark those those key areas and that that i want to check out and almost make it as a connecting the dots type of deal and then once i get in there really be able to let the sign tell me how i need to navigate through some of these places yeah yeah, that's really it because, I mean, you know, I can look at things on a map and they look really good and I get in there, it's like, well, look, the, you know, the, the, the forest doesn't look right for deer, you know, like that's just one of those things that until you get your eyes on the piece, um, it, it's just an unknown, you know, that same thing for, for me this year is it was a lot of chasing uh, forest types to figure out to find the one that I knew looked like, oh, a deer would be here, you know, but, you know, one of the things that, that I've talked to uh, my, my buddies about, uh, as far as like when you're dealing with elevation, you're dealing with ridges and mountains. And this is what I saw back where I came from, back where I, where I started out hunting, grew up hunting at is, is travel for a buck, even though you may have like open pretty woods and stuff like that, a lot of that, cause a lot of the big woods can just, and you, you probably understand this can look monotonous, can look all the same. You know, you can have areas that don't have any cover, but one of the key points that I, that I found is they'll, they'll find a way to stay in cover. Uh, even when no cover is available. And what I mean by that is they'll find those low areas, the drainages, the thick, the, the not thick drainages, but if the drainage is open, but if it's really steep, they'll use that drainage as cover, uh, even though it may not have cover in it. They'll use it like it does. They'll use a ditch, use anything that you can get that's below eyesight, you know, like it breaks up the, 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 the vision of whatever's above them or whatever is, is on par with them elevation wise. Uh, I find that they're using that. So that's what I'm looking for is those areas that, that kind of offer that mixed with that habitat. That's going to give them an area to go hide in and stuff like that. Like blowdowns are huge for me. Uh, I'll pin all the blowdowns, um, blowdowns that I, I find in a lot of these areas in this big timber, uh, big woods, big timber, uh, big, you know, habitat, uh, no habitat diversity. You can find those blowdowns. The, the smaller ones tend to stick out a lot more. They tend to be used more. You can get a blowdown that's, that's five, six, seven, eight acres or something like that. And they just will avoid that because it, it causes too much of a diversion in their movement. So the smaller ones that I have found have tended to be a lot better. So if I can get a get an area where I've got some blowdown, I got some drainages, I got some habitat uh, diversity, you know, thick areas, things like that, I can put all those pieces together. Eventually, if I stack two or three of those two or three hundred acre blocks together, um, you, you can you can be hunting multiple bucks in that area and not realize it. Yeah, no, that's that that's a good point. And the blow the blowdown thing is 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 a really good a really good tip as far as especially with that open you know the woods that are more open mature forest not 
many clear cuts, not, you know, many thickets that they have in there. There was, I mean, actually the, the opportunity that I had in Pennsylvania this past year, uh, during, during archery season, you know, that, that I, you know, ultimately ended up screwing up, but was an, an area of blowdowns that was probably, I don't know, an acre of blowdowns that I'd found like six or seven years ago. And I had scouted through it and I'd found, some sheds uh, around the outside of those blowdowns before. And I knew does lived in it more than anything and that they, they lived kind of inside that blowdown. And I just went and I sat on the downwind side of that, that blowdown. And, you know, I ended up hearing this buck grunting kind of bumping does on the other side of it and called them, you know, right in on that downwind side of it. And those blowdowns are, and, and even there's another spot I can think of too, that where there was just literally three trees that were blown down that in early season, it was like this little buck hideout. Like there was, it, it would, it would kind of dissipate as the season went on, but early on in the season, and there was some cover as far as like a lot of leaf cover and stuff that was there. Some, some new growth that was coming up around those blowdowns. Cause the sunlight had been there. They'd lay in those kind of root balls there up against some of those trees. And, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've found myself lately. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. The, the last two years, really, pinning more blowdowns than I do anything. You know, like I'm pinning them as much as I'm pinning, you know, a thermal hub, you know, because they're literally that important in these in this type of hunting when you're not dealing with a, you know, there's not a, a 40 acre cutover or something like that. that they can go hide up in to seek refuge. Um, so, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm finding that I'm pinning, I'm trying to pin those, identify those. And I'm even I'm even doing a lot of uh, my e-scouting um on like Google Earth, um, with their recent imagery and stuff like that, and going back, dating, and looking at the differences to pick out those blowdown areas before I ever walk into them. Like I, I eliminated a whole area uh, earlier this season 
when I, I, I was like, this section looks really, really good right behind it, but I don't know about this, like 300 acres that's right here. Like, I just don't know. And the way I looked at it is everybody's going to look at that area and say, there's no way a deer is going to be in there. Like, it just, it just doesn't look like. And sure enough, like, nobody bothered this area. I saw one truck there the entire year. But if you just push past that, like that, it, it, you know, it's a monotonous walk through wide open woods. But just on the other side was like pockets of blowdown stuffed in, stuffed around these hemlocks, you know, like a big hem, oh. hemlock grove. And yeah. I'm like, perfect, you know, like you literally can just stay in that area and bounce around and he ain't got to leave that one drainage. You know, the drainage was like a mile long. You know, I saw the buck in their early season. I didn't see him anymore after that. I really didn't dive into it that much. I kind of got distracted. But he's definitely one I pinned back. But it's just things like that 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 most people are just pushing by the wayside. You know, I'm not going to – that's too pretty woods. I don't see what's behind it. But if I hadn't went on to Google Earth and looked at those, like, okay, they, they cut here. We had a windstorm come through, blew some trees down, and they just – you know, just kind of made these pockets of blowdown around it. And that's where that buck was just laying up in there, you know. And I think a lot of people are just not, we're, we're missing that aspect of it when we're doing that e-scouting. It's not just looking at our at our Spartan Fours and looking at LiDAR and looking at this, but also looking at like the backdating recent imagery and seeing how the forest itself has changed uh, before you go out there and lay boots on the ground, you know. No, that's, I mean, that's a huge point. And that's something that, you know, that's something that I've used out West a lot too, from the, the, where a lot, like in Colorado, for example, they have beetle kill that'll go through and and kill all, all the, the conifer trees in an area. And if you look at that recent imagery, you can see when they start the, the needles start to change colors. And then sometimes they'll turn into blowdown thickets that you can't even, you know, go through, but you can kind of see the changes of the forest in that spot and age what that's like. And it's like, all right, is it this a place where all the pine needles are, are dead and it creates enough sunlight that there's fresh grasses and it's probably a feeding area, you know, or if, or if it's blowdowns, it's maybe some bedding areas. And like by looking at that different imagery, you can definitely learn a lot about an area and its history without even being there during those years. Yeah. It's like here, a fresh blowdown here is not that good. Like, if you get one that's that say say you're hunting in the area and you come to a blowdown that's like a year old, so it's still like holding its needles. You know the the, the trees still may be green because they're still stuck to the ground, things like that. Those are not really that good. But if I can look back and say, well, that blowdown is probably three or four years old, so it's died. It's kind of got that you know rotted look to it, that rotted wood look. It's not it's not completely fallen in yet. Those are going to be really good. And until that wood is completely compressed into the ground, that's going to stay good. So it's it's aging them as well because not all of them are made the same. Like I said, they get too big. But I, I really look for that, like, you know, stacking that information on top of each other year after year really, you know, helps out. Because if, if you can build that overall 
idea of, okay, over here, I've got an area that's got a lot of blowdown on this ridge. I got a creek bottom here. They're moving through that creek bottom at night or during the, during the early morning, laying down scrapes. That's where the does are hanging out. Here's my blowdown area to the west or to the south southwest or northwest or whatever. Over here, I've got another bedding area. You can kind of build a pattern of how the bucks move because I believe in the I believe in the big woods areas, um, the the really mature bucks, you either get a mix of they're just holding out in one area and that's kind of the only place he stays, or you get that mix of it's just kind of a flow. So it's like three or four bucks, maybe using the same big woods area, and they're just kind of on a different like pattern within that. And so sometimes you just got to look for those places where those, you know, where those, those patterns cross and those are really good really good areas but it does take you know several years of of, of kind of diving into that to, to really get that you know that's where i think a lot of guys like they pick a spot and i'm i'm known to do this too i'll go out i'll do my e-scouting i'll pick a spot and i'll fall in love with it i'll go out there maybe the first year i killed a buck there you know and from that point on that's my favorite spot i love it and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm going to go there and kill a buck there, you know, and then I may kill another one three or four years later, you know, on that same spot, but it was accident. Yeah. You know, because I fall in love with that spot because I kill something on it that I'm just going to keep going right back to it, right back to it. And I'm not learning what the deer are doing. I'm just accidentally hitting him at a time when he's coming through there, you know? So I think that's, you know, that's another thing that we fall in love with our spots too much and we don't really move off of it to say, well, you know, instead of me being really good at this one spot every three or four years, I'm getting a good deer here. What about those three or four years in between? You know, like where are they at then that I'm not crossing paths with them? And I think that's where a lot of us, you know, kind of get in that in that mindset sometimes. Yeah, and. And I think, yeah, and I think most of us do that from time. I mean, I know I fall in love with spots and it's like, especially when you find, even if you don't kill a buck there, but say even in the spring or the, in the winter when you're postseason scouting and you out and you find this spot and it's like everything, like then all of a sudden your head is just micro focus on that spot. And it's like, all I got to do is come back here, October 28th to 31st, and I'm going to kill a buck on this scrape, and that's what it is. And most of the time, that scenario doesn't exactly line up the way you want it to. <laughs> no, and then it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, that, that sets in motion when my plan was wrong or my idea was wrong, and then it's just a negative feeling connotation from then on, and you've, you've written that spot out, and then, you know, you don't, you, you know, that's the way I tend to do. I find myself, if I, if I have something planned in mind, and I go there and it doesn't pan out. I almost write that off in my mind, you know, like that didn't work out. So then I'm moving on to something else and I, and I'm, you know, and I have to remind myself, I thought that was a really good spot for a reason. I need to, you know, like not just give up on it too. It's either, you know, we, we fall into one or the other, either we fall in love with it and we never want to leave it or it doesn't pan out and we never want to hunt there again. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Ride that line, you know? Yeah, no, and, and 
and and you're exactly right. I can think I can think even to just a spot that I hunted here in December and even in January that is a place I haven't run cameras in two years. But the previous three years before that, I ran cameras, I scouted it, but I never hunted the area, and I ended up getting. It was a remote spot that I didn't have any problems with people. And then all of a sudden I started having, you know, cameras tampered with and some other things. And I just kind of got, you know, like a bad taste in my mouth. But I knew that there, that my intel was telling me there was bucks there. And especially during the late season. And finally this December, I just went back in there. And that's where I had some of the best encounters that I had ever had during rifle season and having these you know, running into bucks in the places that I thought they would be based off of that historical intel. But I had a couple of bad experiences with other hunters and things that kind of just led me astray from the area. And I'm like, you know, looking at the sign and I took some of my family members in there too during rifle season. And they're like, what were you doing not being in here? Like the sign was like, man, this November, this was like the, you could have been anywhere here and probably killed a buck. <laughs> no, man, I, I, I 100% agree. I, I went into a spot early this season, and I, when I looked at it, I'm like, I guarantee you there's nobody hunting this. You know, like it was just one of those spots that's like, I can promise you nobody has thought to go in here, you know. And I go in there and I drop four count. I mean, there was sign, it, you know rubs from last year and this was early so there wasn't anything fresh but there was rub, big rubs big scrapes and it was just this tucked away spot and i'm like I, I bet there's nobody hunting this you know and i went in there hung four cameras in ideal spots on 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 pretty much what i thought were going to be existing either travel routes one of them was a travel route between two little drainages and the other one was a creek bottom that had several scrapes on it and I hung them on those scrapes. I was like, I guarantee those scrapes are going to be just hammered. And I go back in there the week after the, the, I went back in there on the 7th of January. I hadn't been back there since the first week of October. There was 11 different bucks. There was three that were probably over 150. Oh my God. And they had just wore the place out. Like they were there every, there was a, there was a shooter buck there during daylight on one of those cameras pretty much every week from set from October 1st to the end of January, to the end of December. At least once during the week, there was a shooter buck in daylight on one of my cameras. It, I'm like, you know just one of those things you just like you kick yourself you know yeah and you think about it, it's like okay it was there once a week in daylight one of my cameras they were probably there almost every day it's just whether oh, yeah. they walked in front of that camera or they not. walked in front of the camera or not yeah 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 it's sometimes we we and i find myself doing that you know is i find a spot that's that's really that that's screaming that i need to spend time in it and something else catches my attention and I just get diverted away from it and, and don't go back, you know? So it, it you, you know, it, like I said, it, it pays to, it pays to stick with a spot, but it also pays to diversify where you're hunting a lot. Because if you don't, um, either you're wearing out a spot or you're missing the boat on another, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's a good point. So one, one thing that, 
that has helped me. And, and even with that saying, I still mess it up quite a bit. But as far as like, I'll, I'll take notes during the season when I'm finding this stuff, I write it in my journal in Spartan Forge or, you know, and I used to write it down in a notebook, but now I keep it all there. And then at the end of the season, I go back and I review those notes because you forget things, especially if you hunt a lot, you forget these little things. And then all of a sudden the springtime comes and it's like, you go out and you, you forgot, like, man, I really needed to, to break down this area. And then you might remember in the summertime and it's like, man, I'm, I'm kind of late. I don't, you know, all the leaves are on the trees. It's hard to see what's going on. So like right now I am gathering all that data and just a little bit a day. I'm not doing this all in one day cause it takes so long, but I'm going through it and I'm creating this, what I, I call a hunt slash scouting plan where I like to have a good three to five or usually three to four areas that I know that I've hunted in the past that are like, these are my go-to spots. And then I try to check out another three to four that are new spots and then start to build learning in those places. But you always have those other ones that you can kind of bounce around in. And again, so then you're not over hunting an area or areas go hot and cold or additional pressure. But I think, I think a learning lesson for me about pressure specifically is, is sometimes you can have a bad experience with hunting pressure and it's not as bad as you think, but it could be, you know, one bad egg that does, you know, I just had that spot I was telling you about. I went, when I went back in there, I dropped some cameras in rifle season, went back in January and one of them, the lens was smashed out of the camera. The SD card was erased and there was two new cameras hung right where I was at. Like this, this guy was very bold. Um, and I was just like, you know, and it, I was like, man, this is why I left here. But I'm like, no, you know, this is most likely one person that is doing this. There's not any tree stands in here. There's no other hunter sign that I'm seeing. Like, I just need to, you know, work around this guy. He's letting me know where he's at. And I'm, even though it's a good spot, it looks like a good spot. It's probably going to put some pressure on it. And it's, it's not going to be as good during the season. So let me work off of this and figure it out. And I think because we all... I think all of us have a different tolerance level as far as pressure. And I, I just, I hate being around people. And I, and I think most of us can, can understand that, but I just, I, I need to learn of, of working away from a good buddy of mine. Johnny Stewart always reminds me, he's like, quit, you know, quit hunting the people, hunt the deer. Like the, the people will help you kind of guide you to find where the, the deer are. So don't worry too much about that. Yeah. Yeah. That That's another lesson that I could take is, is, that I need to heed myself. And a lot of times is I worry too much about, um, where other hunting pressure is coming from. And it's like I told, told the guys I hunt with here, I had out over 80 cameras in the areas that I kind of hunted and kind of picked out. And I had, I had people on three of the cameras and it was just one or two, you know, and one of them was one spot like that, you know, so the majority of the, of where I'm at, there's nobody, you know, like we assume there's pressure. We drive into a spot and we see a vehicles, you know, a vehicle sitting there. We assume that person is pushed back where we were going or, you know, or hunting where we were going to go hunt, you know, when the likelihood of that is, is pretty small, you know, and, and a lot of times just, just don't worry about it. Go, you know, go, go where you want to go and, 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 and let the other people 
go where they want to go and, and, and you'll be a happier hunter and you'll probably be more effective, you know, have that in mind that, that you know where they're at, where the pressure's coming from and, and like try to use that to your advantage in a way, you know? Yeah. And, and to like, one thing that I've become, that's take, it's a learning curve for me. So I've, I've always run quite a few cameras, but it's, you know, it's started, you know, there's definitely more people running cameras. Cameras are, are more affordable. There's, you know, you can run in a lot of areas. You can run cell cameras, not in all the places that I hunt, but there's, you know, more of that kind of showing up. And I was like kind of getting discouraged and I'm like, man, you know, there's cameras all over in this one area particularly, but I wanted to hunt this deer. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to hunt it anyways. And I ended up hunting it for 14 days during archery season. And I never saw another person. And I only saw a vehicle parked. Um, the one night I came or one day I came out middle of the day during the rut to, to move, there was another vehicle parked next to mine, but that was it. Like in that many days I never, and then in rifle season, I had a bunch of people on my cameras and stuff, but it was like the time I was hunting, it wasn't that bad. And I think, and I've said this on here before, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think cell cameras are kind of helping some of us that like to scout and be in the woods because it's keeping other people out and they'll put cameras up and they're not going to hunt until they get a picture of this, you know, big buck that, that shows up on their camera. So yeah, yeah. I, I think you can kind of use that to an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you hunt in an area where there's, where you're seeing a lot of cell cameras, uh, you probably got a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of boys that are not hitting the woods simply because that cell camera is not telling them what they want it to tell them, you know? Yeah. And you, you just can't hunt that away. You know, like that's just a man, you know, I've got cell cameras. I'm lucky that, that I moved into an area that a lot of it can, can get cell, cell phone, cell uh, cam service. And I've tried to treat it exactly the way I do my, my, my card cameras, which is okay. That's really good information, but I can't, you know, I can't use it right now. I mean, I know a lot of, if you're, if you're hunting off of feeders and stuff like that, you're, you're maybe, you know, but if you're just putting it out in areas where you're hoping them to come through, I don't, I don't really want to use it that way. And I don't, I don't, I don't think you can use it that way. You know, like I'm yeah. trying to exactly the way I do my card cameras. It's good Intel. And I, that's, that's another thing with cameras. I think a lot of people and myself included, I'm getting old dated when I go pull my, my cards. And I always tell people this, that, that send me messages about uh, you know, card cameras and, 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 and cell cameras and all that is if you don't pull your cards, but every 10 days, so you go pull a card on a camera and it's got data from five days ago. You can't, unless you've got a good base of like, okay, every three or four days, this buck's coming through here at this certain time. But if it's just a random one-off, I think a lot of people get stuck in, that buck was here last Tuesday, three days after I came and pulled this card, I'm going to be here this so-and-so day. You know, like he's in here, you know, you're using uh, old, uh, old information is bad information for that that season so you for know that I season yeah i agree. are just stuck on okay i pull my car it's got a deer on here it's a good place to hunt you know and that it in it in it ends up being um i guess it's what's called a confirmation bias that you're what you're seeing is is okay it's confirmed in my head that's where i put my camera's good 
So this is this is where I'm going to hunt, and you end up wasting hunts chasing camera data. You can't really do that, in my opinion. I mean, I'm I'm the king of it because I, I mean. I'm, I'm constantly pulling cameras and I've got 300 or had 300 cameras at one time that, I'm, that I'm, I'm trying to keep track of during a year. And you find yourself chasing that, that bad information instead of just hunting what the sign's telling you, you know? So that's one thing that I've learned over all these years. And that's what I'm applying from where I, where I. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Um, hunted at previously to the new place is to take my camera data and, and build information from it to use next year, to use two years down the road. And stop trying to use it in in the season it's in because it's just you're just beating your head into the wall trying to do that, you know. Man, I I, I can't agree anymore, and and it is something that especially when someone like you or someone like me that runs a lot of cameras, it it can test you and what your own you know quote unquote rules are around that because you do you're going to get excited. You see this big buck, it was on daylight, but when you're in these, you know, big wood settings, it's, it's not, they're not on these patterns traditionally or doing that and things, who knows what caused that. And you really don't have the time to analyze it completely at that moment. It's like, I I just want to have that data. And that's when the winter time it's cold out. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to go through all this stuff and start to make assumptions based off of that data to help me get ahead of that and be there when he shows up, you know, next year. And that's, and the, the one thing I will say though, about the cameras that I, I believe that have helped me and what I do use them for kind of real time Intel is when you're starting to get closer to the rut and that pre-rut time frame, one of, uh, you know, a, a particular scrape starts to get hot. Um, or, you know, you get a, a doe, a doe is my biggest thing. A doe that lays down next to a scrape, in the middle of the night, it's like that next day is going to be fire. And I've seen it so many times of that being the scenario. So that's something where you can use some real tell or real time information to help you. Uh, it's just as far as like seeing when the areas get hot around the rut. That's, that's for the most part, that's what I'm kind of looking at them for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm glad you you brought that up because that, that's exactly if I'm going to use it in in season, like right then, that's what it's going to be is the does. And I, I see so many people that 
I don't, I don't see them, but I know it goes on because I've seen my buddies do it and I've done it is they're going to yeah. pull the cards. And it, if I ain't a buck on there, they just delete the card, you know, like that's it, you know, and you don't pay attention to the does that are coming by, how they're interacting with whatever you're doing there. I see it. And I, and, you know, and, and we all fall in love with seeing a big buck that we wanted to see on camera and that becomes the focal point. But, Man, there's there's nothing there's nothing that will get me on a spot like going and pulling a camera on a scrape that I know is hot and seeing a doe there ten hours before I was there, you know. That I'm you know, and she's peeing in the scrape or she's milling around in it, she's cleaning it out, she's laying down in it, you know. Yeah, then I'm gonna be on that scrape, you know. I'm gonna be close by it. Because it's it's about to be fire. But aside from that, if you're if you're looking at the bucks on camera daylight, it's just pin that information, catalog it like I'm doing, build a profile of where it was at during daytime and what time of year, stuff like that. But pay attention to those does that are doing that. I pin the information based on the camera location, the time of day, and the time of year. So, uh, and then I just try to catalog it. Okay, it, you know, like. And I, I'll, I can send you this information. It'll it, maybe you want to share it with people and kind of give people an idea of kind of how I do it. But um, I'll, I'll go through and take like the month of October, and I'll break it down by location. Okay, okay. I got scrape, and, and the ones I've done right now are all my scrape locations. So I'll break all my scrape locations down by where they're located. Was it a creek bottom? Was it a bench? Was it a drainage? Was it a ridge top? Was it a long, um, um, ridge side? You know, different different locations. And then I'll just pick out the daytime images that I have bucks on camera on those. Okay. And then I'll pick out what time of day was it. Okay. So what I found this year, uh, an assumption that I've made because we're we're hunting. I'm hunting big bucks. You know. Like the area I'm in, you know, if I want to go kill does, I'm not going to kill them where I'm hunting my bucks at. So I'm mainly focused on killing a, a mature buck. So what I have found, like this year, is our drainages and all, where I had scrapes and drainages, was really, really good early morning. And the creek bottoms were really good early morning and midday. And then as the, as the day progressed, the ridge tops they didn't have as much daytime. Um, the ridge top, secondary ridge points, things like that didn't, benches didn't have as much daytime um, travel uh, by mature bucks as my drainages and my creek bottoms did. Well, I spent most of my time hunting a bench or a couple of different benches that I thought were hot because they had a lot of good sign in it. When, if I would have just moved 200 yards into a drainage probably would have had a good opportunity. So that's, that's something that I, I kind of do every year and, it, and I watch how the progression, okay. Did they progress from, okay, they're using the ridge tops. Now they're progressing to this or progressing to the benches. Now they're progressing to the Creek bottoms into the drainages, which is kind of what they did this year. It was like the, the, the movement was up high early season and then it kind of gradually as, the foliage left, it moved, it migrated to the lower elevations. So what we started out, upper elevations where we had a lot of feed, had a lot of acorns dropping up on the ridge sides, ridge points, 
once that all faded away, the migration from that point down was off the ridgetops and down into the valleys and into the creek bottoms. And that migration stayed that away. You know, basically it finished up that away. The season did. They were all in the creek bottoms and there wasn't that much up on the ridge points, you know. So that's something that if you can layer those that kind of kind of camera data, you can kind of figure out, well, you know, if I've got two years of data on this and they're kind of doing this, then why am I hunting on the ridge tops in early December when there's no acorns up here and there's no bucks hitting this scrape? Sure, there's there's sign here, but it's all being done at night. So why am I sitting up here? You know? Yeah. You can kind of figure out where you need to be based on what time of year and what time of day and things like that okay they're 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 only in this this one drainage in the in this certain period of time so why am i hunting it when i know there's probably not going to be a buck in here you know so it, that that's kind of one of the things how i kind of layer my, my my camera data on top of each other yeah no that's that's uh that's, I, I like i like what you said too about the how how you notice like that progression and and the thing is is like what's what's important to note to anyone listening something i've seen is sometimes that'll be a trend that you see every year in a particular spot and then there's other times that there that might be an outlier you know there was i remember a year when it was it was really hot that there was like so much activity down in the, in the creek bottoms and then all of a sudden another year was colder and they were up higher on this phase of the ridge and, and at that time of year and it's usually at that point it's like what changed and that's where you, you know when you're looking at that data you're asking yourself like why why did this happen what is going on and and you know just like how you explained it there and how why you thought that they did that yeah yeah, I mean that, that's that's kind of you know so so if you're going into a season and things and you've had you know let's say next year things play out similar and I'm starting to see those same like signals okay all right they're up high on the ridge points they're feeding here we're not seeing much down low you know I can kind of see that progression already advancing so if things don't change if we don't suddenly get a warm spike or you know, a cold snap or something like that. It doesn't drastically change your movement because to be honest with you, weather kicks off little micro movements to me, but overall cold fronts kick off movement, things like that. But it's going to take a, you know, to, to, to force a deer in this elevation where, you know, we're not talking thousands of feet of elevation change. It's, it's a couple hundred, you know, it's weather is not going to make that big of a difference. So it's not weather related. It's something else. You know, the micro movements are generated by cold fronts, wind changes, things like that. They'll get this buck from moving from this bed to this point to bed in a different location or something like that. You know, so we're not dealing with that. We're dealing with like, okay, early season, I need to be hunting here. And as the, as the season changes, the foliage changes, those deer migrate to a different location. If things are the same, I can expect the same result next year, you know? So I'm yeah. not the like, I'm not sitting in an area just because I like the way it looks, you know, or, or I feel like there's going to be deer there. I'm actually following the progression of how the deer are interacting and where the movement is, is going from. And that can change year to year but you're probably not going to see those like wide variations. Like they're not going to go from suddenly using ridge tops in October to, you know, 
they're all in the bottom. You know, like that it's that's probably not gonna happen. It's probably gonna be a more of a gradual change. And if you can identify those little points like, okay, I went and pulled this camera here, there's nothing really using this right now. But I know in like last year they were using it next week and I go up top and they're that 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 you know, I pull a couple of cameras there and that that movement up there is is not as much as it was the week before well they're probably migrating back down you know and they just hadn't made that yeah. full move back down the bottom yet so okay next next weekend that's you know i probably need to be i don't need to hunt up top because that's kind of fading off and they're moving to that lower elevation you know so it's just it's kind of one of those things and that's what i try to do with my cameras is just get that progression of where those deer are moving and it's just like an ebb and a flow you know, within the woods and then the rut kicks in and everything goes, you know, I everything goes rut. haywire. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. Did you say I, you broke up there for a second, but did you say you, you hate the rut? I do. Yeah. As far as camera stuff, because it's yeah. just like, you know, like I can't make any assumptions, you know, that then I've got, then I've got to, I've got to go back to just, I'm accidentally running into that bug, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and finding those, those areas that think either they're going to travel between or the, the doe beddings or whatever to, to be able to do that. No. And, and, you know, with, when it comes to, you know, analyzing that Intel and using that and then going in and, and breaking down these spots. And I think that's where for me, and, and I heard you say it a couple of times here is like, it's so important to cover basically every square inch of those areas to try to uncover those things. And, and I, I feel like, you know, I have a goal every year to do at least 200 miles in this, in March and April of hiking through different areas and checking things out. And, and that's always, that's still a goal. But one thing that I've learned is sometimes I was just doing things just to do it, you know, just to be like, okay, I covered this area, covered this area where being more intentful on when I get to a spot that looks kind of curious or looks kind of deery, you know, like Bucky, like it could someone, some buck could be living here of spending more time and just sitting there, even sitting down, having a snack and just looking at the woods and trying to figure out those micro changes because it is easy to go out and scout and find sign in the spring and do that. But unless you're trying to use that to put a game plan together now, like there's things that are going to change and, and be able to adapt, but being able to pick a tree, you know, if this spot is the same as it was the previous year, this time of year, and I want to hunt it, well, I should have a tree picked out and look at it and try to find a good tree at that time of year. And, and there's always variables that are going to change, but this gets you another level up and then plan like, okay, how can I access this spot? And you're looking at it. It's like, okay, on a map, it looks like that drainage would be good, but man, there's so many blowdowns in there and it's kind of rocky. And I don't know if I can actually even come up that, well, let me see what backup plans I have and start to plan that stuff out. So now if things are on trend to be similar that coming year, the signs telling you, you need to be in there. You don't need to try to start from ground zero and, you know, blow deer out with your access or you can't find a tree, you know, and, and every year that's something that I need to get a little bit better with and, and trying to really hone in some of those, those spots within an area versus just covering as much ground as possible, but, you know, covering it well with intent and looking at it from, Another thing too that I think that that you can get lost with, especially you know if you if you have a limited time when you can hunt, say 
you're planning on just hunting. You have, you know, a week of, you have weekends and then say you take off the first week of November or whatever. Scout with that in mind of like, this is the time of year to help do it versus trying to look at it from a, a whole big scale. It can be tough to, tough to take in all that information versus kind of focus scouting. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it like we're talking about going into new areas and, and stuff like that. If you're, if you're scouting an area that you're unfamiliar with, it's okay to try to learn as much of it as you can, but dial it back when it, when it, you know, when, it, when you're starting to see the sign on there, I think you need to be a much more strategic scouter, you know, like I'm trying to, to transition from being kind of methodical in both methodical hunter, methodical scouter, to be in a more strategic scouter and more strategic strategic hunter um, just because I mean as you get you know a lot of us I mean uh, you know I think if you're a weekend warrior you got to be that if all, if all you have is the weekends to do your hunting you better be a strategic hunter you better be a strategic scouter meaning I go into the woods to scout for a specific thing that I'm trying to find and I'm going into the woods to do the same thing, like almost like with the mindset of you trying to make it happen every time you're out there, you know, and that that's kind of the way I, 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 I a lot of, a lot of people are broad brushing scouting. Like I'm just going to try to cover as much ground as I can just for the sake of doing it. And instead of just breaking down these little micro parts of the woods that mean the most to the buck that you're trying to kill. Like all this fluff stuff that's in the woods don't mean crap to him. It's these little micro things that you kind of walk by when you're just trying to cover ground that I think gets a lot of people lost, you know, and that's, I'm just like you, I've taken the mindset. That's why I, I think I've told my buddies that I'm, I'm I, I think I scout differently than most people. Cause and when I take people scouting with me, I kind of scout like they do, you know? So it's like, well, you're not doing anything any differently. It's cause you're with me and I don't feel like I can be, you know, who I really am. Cause it, you'd think I'm a nut. I'm sitting here in the woods, like, like looking like, okay, I can visualize a buck coming here. Now, where can I visualize him going once he's through this little area? Like I look, I probably like an idiot. Cause I'm, I'm literally, <laughs> you know, scanning the woods, you know, and, and turning around and, and sitting, I may, I may sit here for a little bit and I may go over there and get a different perspective of it, you know, and, it, and it's not, I don't feel like it's kind of abstract kind of scouting, yeah. but that's, that's just how I, I feel like I need to do it. Cause I don't know. My dad was, he was big into Indian stuff and, 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 you know, I, I think I've taken on that a little more than as I've gotten older, a little more of that, you know, of, of going through the woods, kind of like an Indian wood back, you know, trying to stalk their prey, you know, and that's kind of the way he was. And I'm, I'm, I've morphed more toward that as I've gotten older, because I feel like I'm, I'm, you have to get in tune with the woods when you go out in them, like you got to become part of the, the, the forest itself to figure out what the, the deer or whatever you're after is doing within that, within the area that you're in, you know, cause that's their home and you're entering it, you know, it's just like, I know my way around my house. Well, I need to know the woods the same way the deer knows. Cause that's his house. You know, that's his home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You need to, you need to know what's, what's in that, 
you know, in that cabinet drawer. You need to, you know, break it down and, and be able to see that. And one, one thing that I have done, so to, to kind of caveat that, one, from having these scouting camps and, and being around a lot of, not everyone are new hunters that come to those by any means, but some of the newer hunters and even some experienced ones are like, well, how do you know, you know, when to stop? And it's like, all right, what is like, you know, that was mostly for in-season scouting, but even looking at it from a post-season standpoint and what we're talking about, it's like, how do you know that this is, you know, the best sign you're going to find in an area? So one thing that, that I've started to do is say you have two days. So say you have a weekend, a Saturday and Sunday, you can get out half a day for each the first, I'll, I'll spend the whole weekend in that one area, but the first day is more of, if it's a newer spot, more of a kind of a speed scouting and trying to just see the sign throughout and hit these high points and try to hit these spots that are like what I think are priorities. And now that night you look at it and it's like, okay, this spot actually was probably one of the better spots that I had seen. I need to get back in there. And the next day you go in and it's like, now you really start to break it down. And, and that's how I've always layered you know, scouting areas. And I've, I've always said, it's like a three-year plan for me. It's a three-year strategy of, you know, first year is a little bit more higher level. Cause you don't know enough to really, the more you scout though, you can, you'll start to pick up on some of that stuff. But then after you have Intel and you have a little more now it's like, okay, here's some real focal points that you start breaking down more. And then you start, and it's just, you just continually build on these things to the point where, you know, Shane, what you're talking about, I don't think you sound crazy at all for what you're doing. And, and maybe it's the group of people I hang around with, but they do the same things and, and of being able to just like really see, see that. And the more experience you have in the woods, the more you can visualize that buck walking there because you've seen something happen like that in real life or on cameras in a different location that looks similar. And you start to subconsciously pick up on these trends of like, all right, that looks like a spot that a deer would move in, you know, to an untrained eye or someone that hasn't hunted areas like that, they might be like, why, you know? And it's, it's just kind of what comes with that experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, you know, it, it really is. It becomes to somebody that's new hunting. It, it would, it, it almost seems like you'll never get there, you know, like, Cause I, I, I've been there. Like I, I used to not be able to do this, you know, like I couldn't, and, and I'm not saying by any means that I'm anywhere near like a savant at it at all. Like I'm, I'm learning something new every time I go out there. Like I literally make some of the dumbest mistakes that anybody can make, you know, like I still do them. So it, it, it doesn't, it's, it's not that I'm just saying this is the way to do it, but to a new hunter or somebody who, doesn't have the time to really, you know, to really put in for it. Like you, you don't, you're limited to your time. Of course, that's how most of us are, but it's really like, I tell everybody, like if my biggest advice for anybody that's scouting is slow down, like that is my biggest thing is when I, when I've walked into an area the first time and I walk through and I say, okay, this looks good. This looks good. The next time I come through there, I'm going to look like a sloth. Like I'm going to look like one of those. It's like, I'm just moving in slow motion almost, you know, because there's so much that you miss by just having an idea that I've put a pin here and that's where I've got to go. Cause I think that pin is going to be where the buck is or where in my mind. And so it's when you come back to that second 
that second time into an area is just really slow your process completely down to where you're just like I'll take I'll take like a I'll go 10 yards and I'll stop and look back where I came from. A lot of times we walk into an area and I've done this myself as I'll walk into an area and I never look back. And so if I walked into an area and I'm only looking here, all the sign that's behind me that I passed that I didn't look right and left, I just had a singular focus of going here, everything that's behind me, if I don't walk back that away, I'm going to miss all that. So I may walk 10 foot, turn around and look back behind me. And I'll just keep doing that, you know, because that way I've got not just a picture of how it looked walking in, but how it would look for the buck walking out. Because a lot of us don't walk in and walk right back out. We yeah. make, you know, we, we're doing all this, you know, especially that's especially the case because I like to walk up bottoms. Like if I'm going to start my scouting, I'm going to start through the bottom. I want to, I want to start at the bottom and work my way up the top, you know, and what I'll usually do is, is I'll walk through a bottom, I'll gain elevation and I'll walk like a zigzag till I get to the top. And then I'll walk down and hit another bottom and do the same thing again, or zigzag down, you know, so it looks like, you know, that way I've covered, I can cover three or four ridges and really not have walked, like burn myself out, you know, so if we're just walking through those areas looking one direction and we never look behind us, we missed all that information because a lot of us are just like, oh, there's a scrape, there's a rub. You go right to it and you missed everything else. Might have been the one over here behind you. You just walk right past it, you know? Yeah. So that's one thing. My biggest piece of advice is just slow down and look where you came from. I I I, li- I like the the look where you came from. I could definitely take that that advice because you're right. Like, and even a lot of times, if I do come back the same way, I'm going to go on a you know the next bench down, or I'm going to be you know in a, a different spot. So you're still not seeing it. Yeah, you're not seeing it exactly the same by just turning around and and looking. And the the thing you brought about that about crick bottoms and starting there is so good. And I want you to explain a little bit as far as. All right. So, and again, this came from our scouting camp. We were starting in this bottom and we were going up and we were seeing these trails coming off the hill and, and some guys were asking, they're like, Hey, so how do you know what trail to, you know, follow up on, on the hill? And I'll, I'll give you my thoughts first and I want to hear yours. But for me, I I've always was like, I have a designated spot. Maybe it's to the head of the drainage or that I want to walk, or maybe it's the, maybe there is not the head of a drainage, just a long Creek bottom. I'll say, Hey, I want to walk this relatively quickly for a mile and a half or whatever it is. And I'm going to note all these spots and then I'll come back to whatever, like the best sign that I saw, or maybe the train that looks up up above, or you can see up there and what looks the most conducive and kind of start there and then work off of it. But I want to hear kind of how you do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As far as like, I love creeks, anywhere water's running where you got a bank or something, I like walking down those. I like starting at that point. If I'm going to do like, if I, if I can work into a perfect area and, and I can find that creek bottom, I'm going to get in that creek bottom and I'm going to find those crossings. And so I'm going to pin those crossings. I may not pin every one of them, but I, but the ones that have a buck track or have a lot of tracks in them, I'm going to pin those. And if it's, if it's one, that, if there's a heavily used trail and then you go right past it and there's like a lightly used trail, I mean, I'm going to pin that lightly used trail 
crossing way before I'm going to pin the, the heavily used one. And I'm going to look up on the, you know, around it, kind of what you're, what you're saying. And I'm going to, I'm going to look on my map and I'm going to see if there's like a, 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 a like, let's say it's a ridge top, a ridge side that's to my, you know, to my right. And the trail's coming out of the way and all the, all the tracks are leading down. I'm going to look off to my right or left. And I'm going to see if there's any kind of differing terrain. Like if there's a ditch coming down, rock face, you know, maybe here we're dealing with bluffs. So if there's a bluff gap, something that's up on those ridge points that's above it, that's kind of forcing that travel down at this, this singular point. And I'm going to keep walking. And I'm going to walk as far as I want to walk, you know. Maybe it's to a point that I can get up, start getting elevation and getting back up on those ridges, something like that. Maybe 300 yards, it may be a half mile, it may be a mile. And I'm just going to pin all those and then I'm going to zigzag that. I'm going to work my way back, back one side to the other. And I'm going to, and usually once you get out of that creek bottom, you get a lot of sign. May, it may be right there immediately on it, but it may be a little ways off. Somewhere in there, I'm going to hit you know, scrapes, rubs, rub line, other tracks. It, bottom land is really good. That's why I like starting there is because I can see tracks. You know, like it's easy to see the punch marks. Once you get up on the ridge sides, you know, it's, it, it doesn't look that way. So you can get a lot of ideas of what size buck I'm dealing with by the track, things like that. It's a lot easier to see in those bottoms. And then I'm just zigzagging. I'm going to make two or three. It depends on what I can Depends on what the terrain will allow me to do. A lot of here that I'm dealing with is a lot of bluff. So I'm working up to like a bench or the bluff bottom. And then just trying to hit those bluff gaps or hit the the micro drainages that'll, that'll have like a subtle rub line in them. Like a lot of people miss those because they look at a, it may be like a tiny little rub, two or three of them. They're like, that's a small dink buck that's walking this little micro drainage just lower area passing on by to me that's what sets me up up on fire if i see those little bitty rubs that are going up those little micro drainages that are little snapped off twigs and stuff like that we'll pin that and i'm gonna get up top and i'm gonna start working on that the lower end of the upper one-third so I'm working at the bottom end, like I break the, the reach down into the lower one-third, the middle one-third, and the upper one-third. And I'm going to be at that transition point. If it's a bluff edge or if it's got, it's almost like the below the military crest. So when you get up to the military crest, right over it is usually where the, lower, the upper one-third kind of ends. And I'm going to start right in there. I'm going to walk that transition line and look for beds. Uh, look for trails that are kind of cutting across the main trails. Like a lot of times in this this region, mountainous areas, uh, you'll get the the does running up and down, and then you'll get that faint buck trail that's kind of just crossing them at an angle, you know. And he'll do exactly what I'm doing. He's he may cut across here, and then he may zigzag back. So you may get those like little faint trails that just kind of splinter out. And you may get it again at a little higher elevation where he's just kind of switchbacking up that ridge to cut all those trails. And those are really good places, especially during the rut. If you can get that sign down low, 
just a just you know those are my rut places that I really like during the rut. So that's how I'm kind of breaking that down, and then I work off of that to figure out. Okay, more than likely they're probably bedding up in a mic, in a thermal hub or a microthermal hub somewhere around here, and that's why I started in the bottom is just to get that like okay, here's my base and I'm working up to it, you know. Yeah, no, I I, I like that a lot, and 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 another thing that. I, I think that I've noticed, and it tends to be around that spot that you're talking about around the military crest, but you find, you start finding sign on particular elevation lines, mark that. Cause you can probably yes. go around to the other side of the drainage on that same elevation line or within a few feet and find some of those trails that it's like, okay, here's whether it's because this is where, you know, the thermals and the wind are meeting or whatever it is, that's, you know, a buck. An elevation they like to be on and, and a, a good buddy of mine uh greg litzinger he talks about it so much and has taught me so much from scouting with him on on how he's using that and and doing it and it's like almost no matter where you go you start seeing that that trend yeah yeah oh yeah yeah if you start if you're on that elevation if you're on a ridge face and you hit a hit a hit a rub line on a certain elevation point, yeah, I mean you can I can just about guarantee you, and he may not be going all the way around it, you know, he may yeah. not be at that point, but I can guarantee you probably on that other side at that similar elevation, if the ter- if the habitat is similar, you know, yeah, like, kind of similar, you're probably going to see the same sign, and if you can put those, you just pin those places, and if you do that and you draw, like I like to get on, I like to you know, make a screenshot on my phone. I'll, I'll go into, to, um, into, um, Spartan Forge or whatever mapping and I'll make a screenshot and I'll put it up on my photos and on my photos, I can go in there and draw. Yeah. So I'll go in there and I'll draw it and I'll, I'll layer another one, you know, and then, you know, build another one. And then I can, I can kind of flip between them and almost like make out where that buck is moving around, you know, and, if you're doing that and you lay out enough area, you got, you know, you don't need to know the whole area where the buck is going. You know, like I think that's, you know, we get in the idea we got to know everything. No, I just, if I can just find a, you know, a window here that I can hunt, you know, like I can hunt these three or four ridges or these three or four drainages are kind of together and I got a good idea of where that buck's kind of moving through there and I can block it down into just a wedge, you know, that I can hunt right here. More than likely, I'm going to be able to hunt it if it if it's if the terrain kind of isn't all the same. I'm probably going to be able to use wind or thermals or something to at least hunt one of that section. That's going to be advantageous for that buck, and I can hunt it at a time where I can access it or something like that, you know. And it's not it's not so daunting to say I've got to know everything that this buck is doing because if you if I tried to go through the woods and track one buck, like that's all I wanted to do is find everywhere he went. Well, I'd be chasing my tail for years until that buck died. You know, I'd never know anything, you know. It, yeah. So it's just getting that little wedge of information and being able to figure out, okay, this is how he's moving there, and this is when I time my hunting out and be a little more strategic with it. I think that's the thing that, that really would help. That's really helped me out. Uh, a lot of times I don't, I don't, for whatever reason, don't, you know, make the shot or don't, I'm not there at the right time or I don't hunt it on the day I can hunt it or should be there. But if I can put myself in enough of those positions, eventually I'm going to, you know, my chances are at least going to be higher than they would if I was just sitting at home, you know? Oh yeah. And, and it's just trying to create 
more opportunity to be in, in those places. And, 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 and you and I think very similarly on this. Like, I feel like when I am organized and have, you know, that data as much as, you know, as much as you can know, and then you have to make assumptions, like not you, not me, not anybody really knows every, not even close to knowing everything, what a deer does, but you have to use assumption uh, yeah. based off of the information that you have. And for me, it helps to lay it out, you know, whether I have it typed up on a screen and I have this Excel spreadsheets of the trail camera data and I have Spartan Forge pulled up over here and I have all, all, there's so many different things and it's not to confuse, try to make it confusing because it's not, but it's just trying to use as much information as I have to make reasonable assumptions and then play it out based on the conditions as far as how you can hunt it, how you can get in there and look at it that way. And that's, that's, I, I feel like, you know, especially this past year, I hunted more than, than I had ever before throughout a long variety of the season, even in the late season. And it was like, when I can be strategic and think through those things, I was getting opportunities that, you know, getting those opportunities and seeing them. It's like, holy cow, this played out, <laughs> this played out the way it should. And, and that, that doesn't always happen. Most of the time it doesn't, but it's trying to create more of those times when it does work out versus not. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you can just put yourself in that, you know, if you can put yourself in that opportunity enough times, eventually, you know, it may not be this year, it may not be next year, but eventually you, you know, the, the stars will align, you know, like yeah. your sons will work out with his or this buck's preferred, you know, time of movement or something like that. Like the stars will eventually align it, but, but I think that's, you know, not everybody can hunt that away. I understand that, you know, but for me, that's how I like doing it. Um, it now, like I said, whether I can make the shot or make it happen when I'm there, when, when he's there, you know, if I don't buckle under pressure, uh, but that, that's, that's what I'm trying to do is just get that little wedge of information of not knowing everything the buck is doing, just knowing enough to put me there at the right time to, to kind of have that opportunity to, to take him, you know? Yeah. No, no, yeah, most definitely. Figured. And, and, and to like the thing that I know me personally that, and you and I were talking about a little bit beforehand and you had some similar struggles, you know, this, this past year is like the next part. And that really separates being, you know, really successful with it is being able to make it happen when that opportunity comes. And, and, you know, this past year, I felt like a rookie in that respect of just making stupid mistakes when I needed to make the right mistakes, you know, I got 99.9% .9 of the way there. And it was that last 0.1% that is just like, yeah, if you don't make that happen, then you, you screw it up. And, and a lot of times it just takes a lot of that experience of being in those scenarios to get good at doing that and, and, and to get better at it. And that's just, that's, that's the, the evolution of, of being a hunter. And, and, and that's where, you know, it's like, all right, you, you get, you know, for me this year, I'm working on another thing, like, you know, outside of scouting, like I have my scouting plans in place. But one thing I've learned was like, all right, I got, I, I was able to create the opportunities that I needed to be successful and I need to continue to work at that level there, but I need to improve on these other things of, okay, if one thing that screwed me probably three different times was me second guessing whether I was going to shoot the buck or not. Um, because I had a certain goal in mind and, and doing that. And, and I need to find a better way of like, okay, 
I need to make a decision. And I, th- I think what it's really going to come to is like, I'm, I'm not at a point where I'm a, a one buck or nothing sort of guy. That's to me at this point in my hunting time, it's not really fun to me. Now I like to target a specific buck, but I will shoot other deer, but I need to be able to judge quick enough and make a decision because you only have sometimes a few seconds to make that decision. If that, and then they can walk right through your right out of your life. And it's like, man, I worked so hard for that opportunity and me not thinking quick enough or making a decision quick enough can change that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I have, I have missed enough deer and I have passed on enough deer that the passing on the deer the missing, I can, it's my own fault. Yeah. You know, like I, I understand, you know, the passing on the deer and eating it alive, eating you alive afterwards, I can't live with, you know, like I can't live with, and not just passing on it, but you know, like you say, it's like looking back, I, I misjudged that deer, you know, like it's walking away and I didn't, you know, like I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared to, to have this opportunity, you know, like yeah. that, that, this year was the, the couple of good times that the good opportunities I had. I just wasn't prepared, you know, mentally, you know, like, and I know, I know better. We all do. I mean, I've been hunting for over 30 years, you know, it doesn't matter. Like it, you can, you can be hunting 50 years. It doesn't matter. It's, it's in that moment, putting yourself in the mindset of making it happen at the, at the same point, not putting so much pressure on you that you collapse, you know, like there's that really fine line of, 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 of doing both of putting enough pressure on yourself to make it happen, but not putting so much that you collapse under your own pressure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, you're exactly right. And, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, that I'm definitely going to put a lot of, a lot of focus on this year and, and try to make sure that those opportunities capitalize or I'm, you know, paying attention when I need to be and not lapsing. And it's like, okay, you know, maybe there's some days that, and again, I have, I have a little bit more freedom to be able to choose some of the days I hunt, but it's like, you got to make sure your head's in it to, to be able to, to capitalize on those opportunities when they do happen. Otherwise, if you're thinking I got to do this or I got to go do this and then, Oh, that's when those opportunities are going to show up. And then it's like, then you're, not, yeah. you're, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not in it. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I completely but, understand that. Yeah. And, and like, you know, my, you know, I've got a good base to go on based on what I've saw this past year like i'm good you know i gotta do my scouting but like my thing focusing on this year is is i had a lot of new equipment that i was trying to learn so i think a lot of people do this is is you get new equipment you change things and you don't really put the effort into and it mine wasn't so much that i didn't put the effort it was just circumstances didn't allow me to do it so my my thing go my goal going into this year into the next year is the new equipment that I that I that I'm going to be using that I use some this year I've got to get more proficient at it like that's got to be a a a goal of mine is to get completely proficient with it so that I'm not walking into the woods at a strategic point in time that I need to harvest a buck or I think I got a good idea to and I'm not worrying about the stuff that I'm carrying with me 
I'm not hoping that I can make it work. I know when I have confidence that I can make it work. And that's not a worry of mine. You know, like I think a lot of us go into the woods worrying about something that could fail, you know, instead of, instead of going into the woods with the idea that everything that I've done has put me in this position now and I'm confident in it. Like, I think that's one of the key things that, that for me is if I don't walk into the woods and I'm not confident, then it exudes to everything around me. You know, like if I don't have that confidence that my gear is going to work, everything, my, my scouting has worked, my, this work, then I'm probably going to walk into the woods with a negative mindset and I, I may not, it, it may deter me from where I'm going to go. You know, like it, it, I've, I've had that happen, you know, to where my confidence level is not enough to go to where I know I need to go. So I don't go there. I pick the alternative. So I think a lot of us working on that confidence level and that's confidence level comes with being in shape to go to where you need to go having the, the confidence in your equipment, having the confidence in your scouting, your e-scouting, all that layers up. And then you're not worried about pushing to the right location. If that makes sense. I don't know if I don't, I, I find myself doing that a lot and I don't, I don't, I don't like it, you know? No, I mean, you really relate with me of someone that's a gear junkie and likes testing new things all the time. And then even a part of my job is to test new gear and do that kind of stuff. And you got to use it in the scenarios. And sometimes it's not my choice, but I don't get gear until it comes in the season. It's like, man, I hate doing that. And it it becomes a problem of like, even for example, I was using, I was mess. I love backpacks and like trying out different packs and figuring out systems to carry in all my gear. And I, I, I geek out on that too. And I, I was using a, a, a new pack that I'd got this year, um, a mystery ranch. Uh, it was a pop-up 40. I'd heard a lot of people talk about it. I could yeah. pack out a deer with it and, but it was a smaller bag and everything, but I didn't, I got it and I didn't practice with it enough to figure out an efficient way to be able to have my saddle platform, my sticks on there and do it quietly and take it apart and then do it in the dark. And it was like, like, yeah, I know this, like my other packs, I can do it with my eyes closed because I've done it so many times where you start working with a new pack. And it wasn't that it was the pack's design or the fault of it. It's just, I needed to figure out a system that works for me to be able to do that. And, you know, now you're making more noise and that could cost things in a hunt. And, and then it, when it turned into muzzleloader hunting this year, I hadn't muzzleloader hunted really before other than a few days the year prior, but I, you know, started down that journey, like weeks before the season really opened up and it was like, I need to be confident in research and know that, okay, I need to do this to keep my powder dry. I need to do this. And this is some best practices to be able to do with that. You know, it cost me a buck in Ohio because my gun didn't go off because I got water in the barrel and I forgot to bring something to cover up the barrel and I loaded it in the camp. And there's all these different things that, you know, not to get into the full details of it, but there's those, those gear things that from me, not practicing enough with those tools and, and, and understanding the, the process with it that cost me opportunities. And, yeah. and that's not the gears fault. That's my fault. And, and so I, I have, I, I definitely can understand what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that, that, you know, my gear, my everything, my scouting, my this, if I, if, if I let some doubt 
creep in my head. Like I said, I've done it to where, hey, hey, I, I'm not. I know I, I, you know, this is the spot that I picked to 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 go into, but I'm not confident with my gear, so I'm not really going to go there. I'm not confident with my, you know, maybe I'm not confident with being able to get the deer out or this or that or what, you know. All that feeds into you not being successful, you know. So all this we talk about scouting, doing this, picking the spot. If you don't have that confidence that you can make it there and make it out with that deer, and that spot didn't mean anything, you know. Like that, that, that it's just it's just a it's just a hope that you're you're going to be there, you know. It's it's having that knowledge that my gear's going to work, my body's going to work, my mind's going to work. I'm going to be able to take the shot. So I know I'm confident enough to go there. And I think this past year, I didn't have that, you know, so I've got to get to that point this year, you know? Yeah. And it's good to, and I think it's super important. Like what you're doing is analyzing that and figuring out those holes and, and then you get better at it. And, you know, you were, were tasked with going to, you know, moving to a new area and coming in and trying to take the things that you've learned in previous places and apply it to a new spot, which it, you know, it sounded like it worked out from finding deer and everything, but now you have that confidence. It's like, cause I'm sure you're going into it. Like, you're like, I think this will, you know, work, but you don't, you don't really know. It's just yeah, like, it's, it's an educated guess. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. When, when you're going into a new spot and you're, you're just guessing it where you're, you know, where you might be successful. That's a bad feeling, you know, like yeah. that's a, uh, this is going to be just disaster, you know, but if you think of it that way, it will be a disaster, you know, like you just have to, you, you have to compartmentalize what you don't know and figure out what you already know and apply it to what you don't know, you know, like that's really all it is, you know? And so that's what I did. And, 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 I didn't ultimately have the success that I wanted to have, but I feel like I laid the foundation for years to come. So that that's all I can ask for, you know? Yeah. And, and with that said, I mean, you still shot two good bucks and had, had a, you know, a great season. It's just like, you know, when you set high goals and you have these things in your head, it's like, you're almost never satisfied and you just want to keep, yeah. keep, keep pushing it and keep, you know, keep doing it. And I, I've said, I said it on here on another episode, but when I look back at my last season, I was a few differences away, a few seconds away in multiple occasions from having the best season I ever had. And I look at it and I was like, it was a good season, but it wasn't a great season from like, from the actual success standpoint. And, and that's where, and that's where it's like, yeah, the, those are the, in those moments, mean a lot. So it's like figuring out ways to, to try to reduce the, the mistakes that, that come with it. And that's the constant learning of, of doing this and, and deer hunting and, and hunting in general. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It really does. It, it, it boils down to, you know, everything you learn can be broken in a split second. But if you, if you're prepared for that, that split second, you know, it, at least the outcome is in your hands, you know, <laughs> like that, that's the way I look at it. It's just, it's, it's, it, if you prepare well enough and you put yourself in those, those opportunities at the right location, 
then the onus is on yourself to, to make it happen at that point in time. And, and don't, don't ever look at it as a failure. If you don't succeed, just look at it as a learning. Like if I can't learn from my failures then what am I doing? You know, cause I make yeah. enough up you now. <laughs> like if I don't learn from them, then, then I'm, I'm dead in the water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I, I think uh, to, to kind of wrap this up here, Shane, what are, if, if you were to leave uh, the listeners with something as far as um, whether it be from the e-scouting e perspective or just postseason scouting, what are like, if you want to give like two or three highlights of things to, uh, to keep in mind going into the season, do you have any that come to mind? Yeah. I mean, definitely, it, you know, starting out now, if you're doing your postseason scouting, um, don't you know, don't toss that time away. Uh, utilize this time right now um, as as productively as you can. Um, get out there. Boots on the ground is the is is paramount right now. You don't have to worry about the things you do during season. So postseason scouting, be strategic with it, um, and don't. Um, don't, I guess, let, don't let, uh, preconceived notions of what you should see, uh, uh, mis misplaced where you, you know, what you do see, like, don't, don't think of what you're, you, you want to see, you know, you know, kind of let that cloud your judgment of what, of what you're seeing, uh, when you're out there postseason scouting and don't overwhelm yourself. Uh, compartmentalized what you can actually get done uh, and not try to over spread yourself like pick a good area that you believe would be a good area learn as much of it as you can uh, and do a lot of that with your e-scouting in the off season um, you know if you're if you're picking out a new area or an area that you're even familiar with but you don't have like years of knowledge um, don't overwhelm yourself Try to learn as much about that area as you can. Take two or three hundred acres and break that two or three hundred acres down into chunks that you can handle. Uh, and then learn as much about those little chunks and just kind of place those and in, 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 in build a foundation uh, that you can hunt off of so that when you do want to spread your wings, at least you do have a home to come back to that you can, 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 can come back to with confidence. So that would be my biggest takeaway. Uh, or tips to, to, to moving forward for people postseason scouting, e scouting is don't overwhelm yourself, get yourself a home, and then work off of that. Especially if you have like humongous areas to, to, to work on, or even if you don't, if you're just working on little chunks of, of, ter of territory, learn as much about them as you can and not uh, spread yourself so thin. I guess I, that would be my biggest tip. Yeah, I think I think those are some great tips and and takeaways there. And and Shane, I man, I really enjoy always getting to talk with you there. And there's there's so much more, um, you know, from the camera standpoint and everything that you that you do. We'll definitely have to have you back on again. But yes, I, I really wanted to focus on on this the scouting aspect here and and pulling that stuff that you learned and apply it because I just think that's. That's so beneficial and such a big piece of the puzzle. And and truly, I believe that this time of year is is when you kill your bucks in the fall is by putting this time in and, and learning these spots. You're just so far, so much further ahead. 
And uh, I, I appreciate it. And I really, I hope that everyone goes and checks out uh, Shane's uh, YouTube channel and then Facebook and Instagram. But his YouTube channel specifically has so much educational stuff with maps and how you break down things and your analytics is is. I, I geek out on it. I love watching your videos that you put up there. So, and that's November, yeah, I, November I, warrior outdoors. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm about to, about to start getting back into, I've kind of slacked off during hunting season to putting those out just cause of time constraints, but I'm going to start doing a, 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 another series of those and, and breaking down what I saw this year. And I really appreciate you having me on Uh good luck out there and everybody's, uh, turkey hunting e-scouting postseason scouting uh just hit the woods that's all i can say heck yeah i love it buddy thank you thank you man thanks so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host bomar tonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time